Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people. Today's no exception. We've got a great guest. But first, a quick thank you to our sponsor. The Real Estate Espresso Podcast is brought to you by International Coffee Farms. International Coffee Farms grows and sells specialty coffee in Boquete, Panama. They now have 11 fully operational coffee farms and they are 100% sold out. They are accepting reservations for farm number 12. If the idea of owning a safe, diversified offshore investment is intriguing to you, check out International Coffee Farms at internationalcoffeefarms.com. That's internationalcoffeefarms.com. We are back. Here on the Weekend Edition, we interview notable people. Today is no exception. We have a great guest, great friend of mine. Welcome to the show, Chris Martinson. Thank you, Victor. Good to be here. Well, Chris, we're here in Ottawa at the Auto Real Estate Investors Organization. We will be speaking tonight. Very excited to hear about what is your current thinking. There have been a lot of changes since we spoke last. There's been a lot of lot going on politically. There's still a perception that the Federal Reserve will fix everything in the economy. And that's not necessarily my view. I don't know if it's your view as well. What do you think is going on there? Uh, what's what do you think is going to be the impact on the economy? Well, this is a, a time when I have a hard. Everybody does, but I have a hard time trying to figure out which is the forest, what are the trees in this story. So let me just widen up a, a little bit. We're really at the tail end of a credit bubble, and we've had multiple credit bubbles in the past. Alan Greenspan, in his infinite wisdom, the maestro decided, hey, let's do away with business cycles. We'll do it, replace them with credit cycles. That's what he did. Crashed in 2000, replaced with a larger credit cycle in 2000. One, two, three that broke in 2007, eight. And here we are on another one as we speak here in 2018, coming on the end of this year. The Federal Reserve, the ECB, the Bank of Japan all committed to retracting liquidity out of the marketplace or at least not putting as much in. We're already seeing the first headwinds from that. Where should we start that conversation? We're seeing it from the outside in, emerging markets credit markets. We're finally seeing the high-yield credit market start to break in the United States. We're starting to see it in equities. Volatility is coming back. We've just had a big, big drawdown in oil prices. We've seen Bitcoin get hit. So everything that's sort of liquidity sensitive is starting to get hit. And I think your question is, how long does this go before the central banks say, enough? And do they have people's back this time? Well, that's a very good question, because since so much of this expansion has been liquidity-driven, and that liquidity has been based on printing money, that's not a sustainable game. And we are in the, we're doing this in the middle of a, an economic expansion. This is not at a time when we're, say, at the bottom of a, of, of a recession where we need to stimulate the economy. We're still doing it, have been still doing it, at the top of the market. That's craziness. So pulling back like this, you know, the question is, once we pull that liquidity out of the market, are, are we basically just repeating 2008 all over again? What do you think is going to happen? Well, we will. And, and that's the nature of credit cycles. Uh, they're really fun on the way up. Everybody has a good time. Even dumb things get funded. And then on the way down, it's really unpleasant. And you discover that a lot of what you thought was economic growth was not really growth. So quick example. Let's say you and I each have a household income of $100,000 this year, right? But next year, that's our GDP. You got a GDP of 100,000, so do I. But next year, you borrow an extra 100,000, throw that into the pot and spend it. Mm-hmm. The way we measure this, we'd say, wow, your economy's twice as big next year. That's phenomenal growth. But was it? Well, once you understand debt and the role of debt, which most people should, you know you have to pay that back. So that wasn't real growth, right? right? So that's what we saw a lot of this past 10 years was a whole lot of extra credit thrown in. We're speaking in Canada. Yes. We look at the Canadian um, numbers right now for household debt to income, to disposable income, all-time records. Correct. Very, very high. And so to extend that even further 
is what would be required for that to continue to be a tailwind. In other words, pulling forward all that consumption from the future, spending it today, hoping we're going to pay it back tomorrow. Because in reality, we're not measuring gross domestic product. We're really measuring gross domestic consumption. Correct. And, and it's a big error, by the way. It's a huge error. And, and so these economies that are very focused on production, I'm thinking predominantly economies in Asia that are very production-centric, uh, are actually in a much stronger position because, you know, even if you talk about some of the poster childs of successful businesses in America, I mean, look at Amazon. Apart from books, they don't produce anything. They're all about consumption, right? All of these other businesses, Netflix, it's all about consumption. It, it, there's nothing here that's about production. It, indeed, that's true. And, and um, that's not, it's not true wealth that's being created in that circumstance. So, you know, you mentioned Amazon. Let's just break that apart real quick. Amazon Web Services, great part of the company. Yes. Completely dissimilar product line to selling, I don't know, the jeans that I get, you know, and I order with one click ordering shows up in a, the big brown truck of happiness, right? Sure. But what they're doing is they're subsidizing the retail side from their web services side. I think there's an antitrust suit in there somewhere if somebody cares at some point. But they're losing money selling stuff, and they have for a long time, right? So this is, this is not, you know, the, again, this is a model. Um, it works great on the upside of a credit cycle. And the downside, people get picky about things, and they say, wait, are you making money? And once you start to put that into the story and you get down to the fundamental thing of are you producing something of value at a profit? Well, that's where you discover that companies that had huge price earning multiples of 100, 200 more, um, in some cases, uh, that, that they would come back down to earth. Right. And that's the painful part of the process because a lot of what was supposed to be wealth evaporated, but it wasn't real in the first place. And that's what that's the that's the cardinal sin of the central banks. They created a false sense of prosperity. When it breaks, it's always it's always unpleasant. So one of the central themes of your work, the peak prosperity, yourself and Adam, the core idea is that when these bubbles burst and we come back to earth and some of the things that we thought were there, some of that false wealth, and we maybe have to retrench to a much more basic lifestyle because maybe we couldn't afford the BMWs and all of these other things that were you know, based on an inflated sense of value. Let's talk a little bit about that because you know, that's a difficult pill for many people to swallow, and yet the vast majority of the population is completely unprepared for that. Well, they are, and, and um, there's really no excuse for that in this day and age because all the information's out there for anybody who's curious to go find it. Yes. On the, let me soften that a little bit and also say, though, that our school system, our media, does not go out of the way to, to talk about what I consider to be the most important thing out there, which is monetary policy, how money is created, how the banking system works, and what a credit cycle is. These are really important concepts. It'd be like uh, for a real estate investor to say, I know everything about property management, about uh, filling an apartment. Um, I know everything, but I've never, I don't worry about taxes. That blind spot will catch you. You'll either have sub subpar returns or worse, right? Um, and so, what I'm talking about, our our Adam and I at Peak Prosperity, what we care about is education, and we think people should know about what's going on in these credit cycles because that's kind of like the big game. It's like we're all playing tiddlywinks in a in an uh, arena. You kind of got to know what the arena rules are, though, right? And the arena rules say that every so often they flood it with money and then they pull all that money back out again 
and uh, everybody's experience who's on the floor of that arena changes enormously. And, and so that's where I, you know, we talked about forest and trees at the back. I think people have to know how the forest, what it looks like. And look, we've been here before. Yes. This is our third rodeo in 20 years. I can't believe we're going to do it again. Yes. But here we are. It almost reminds me of going to the casino, uh, looking to play a game, maybe with the, with the blackjack dealer, except one of us has a magic deck of cards with the ability to print more cards at will. Right. Right. If that were to happen, the person with that magic deck of cards would be taken in the alley out back and have their knees broken. Yet that is exactly the game that the federal government is doing. It, it's true, and, and it's worldwide. Yeah. So the Bank of China is doing the same thing. The Swiss National Bank, uh, the, you know, Bank of England, all of them. It, it's the game as as it's been constructed. Now, my you know, little known fact: my grandfather was a banker. Actually, served with Paul Volcker uh, on the New York Fed a long time ago because he was a regional bank uh, person. What he taught me about banking was nothing like what's happening today, right? So, so it's not that, that somehow, you know, this, the game has always been run this way. Something really went off the rails starting about mid-1990s, and we've been running a really dangerous experiment ever since. It's had two fantastic up cycles and two even more spectacular break cycles. The second one in 2008 almost took down the entire world's banking system right within hours yeah right that's no those aren't my words those are the words of mervyn king then bank of uh governor of the bank of england that was uh hank paulson then the treasury secretary of the u.s they both said we were within hours of the whole thing systemically breaking so that scared them and what did they do in response they made it even larger this time they doubled down they yes they did they absolutely doubled down on on the one fundamental flaw that they had to begin with right the thing that provably did not work and broke twice they said let's do it a third time only bigger right that was our error so they bought ben bernanke in to say ah you know what the error was we didn't do it big enough right that wasn't the error and i think we're going to have to live through the consequences again very sobering message where's the opportunity where's the silver lining in this there's got to be one somewhere well, there always is, and this is just a story of extraordinary change. So there's wonderful things coming, you know, great, great uh, new technologies coming along, new processes. There's wonderful things happening all the time. There will always be an economy. This is a time, though, when uh, I understand market timing is actually a very difficult thing to, to uh, promote, but I truly believe this is a time when people should be building their capital and building their cash reserves up and understanding where they would want to deploy that when better prices come along. Because look, bubbles are really hard to avoid. And we have bubbles in real estate right now. We have them in equity markets, bond markets, they're everywhere. And that just means we have bad prices on things. We will have better prices in the future again. And for the people who know a good bargain when they see it, have done their homework, and there's plenty of assets that are worth owning right now, but it's not the easy button where I'm just going to buy some FANG stocks. That's Facebook, Apple, Netflix, Google. I, you know, that's, those days I think are in the rear view. Now we get down to the good old hard work of analyzing things, doing your due diligence, and making money. I love it. Chris, great to see you here again. Thank you, Victor. For the listeners at home, sobering message, but go check out peakprosperity.com. There's a lot of great information on their website. If you haven't watched the crash course, I urge you to do so. This is going to be an eye opener for you. There's two versions of the crash course. There's a shorter one hour version, and then there's the full almost four hour version. And I urge you to watch the full four hour version. There's some tremendously profound messages in there that'll change your perspective on the world. So check out peakprosperity.com. If you haven't read Chris and Adam's book called Prosper with an exclamation mark, definitely go out and get that. In the meantime, have a great rest of your weekend. Make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.